Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Hockey Journey Podcast, episode number 117, The Scott Brokaw Hockey Journey, presented to you by OnlineHockeyTraining.com. I'm your host, Coach Lance Pitlick. If you're new here, please make sure you subscribe so you won't miss out on any future episodes. Before we take a trip down hockey development lane, learn the story of a very well-respected hockey skills trainer here in Minnesota and begin this conversation. If you want to learn more about me, my hockey experiences, what I know, and most importantly, how I've been helping hockey players get really good with a stick and puck, just head on over to OnlineHockeyTraining.com, that's OnlineHockeyTraining.com, and gain instant access to my 10-part video series where I'll show you everything. Consider it my gift to you. Lastly, if you live in Minnesota or are visiting the state of hockey sometime soon and you want to schedule an in-person off-ice stick skills lesson, I'd love to have the opportunity to show you my little world. Go to SweetHockeyCoach.com, that's SweetHockeyCoach.com, and watch the video on the homepage for instructions. Thanks. And I look forward to working with you sometime soon. If you live in Minnesota and play hockey, there's a good chance that you've heard of my next guest, Scott Brokaw. One of the founders of the off-ice training treadmill programs at Competitive Edge, it was there that he really started to dive deep into the best teaching methods and training protocols that produced consistent and noticeable results. He expanded his development web into team coaching and small group training. His reach is wide as he continues to train some of the top hockey players, boys and girls, men and women, that are playing at the highest levels. And I want to hear his story and hockey journey, and I hope you out there do as well. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please help me in welcoming Scott Brokaw to the show. Mr. Brokaw, welcome to the Hockey Journey Podcast. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Lance. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here. Sweet. Well, you're just getting over the old COVID. Um, kicked my butt. Sounds like it's kicking your butt, too. Yeah, I'd gone a couple of rounds with it in the past and uh, was uh, fortunate to be able to take a little little trip across the pond and uh, got home and, and uh, everything comes with a little bit of a price, apparently. So a couple of days later, uh, feeling pretty sick and, and been battling, but um, you know, should be turning the corner here soon. I, I have a voice now, so that helps. Yeah, yeah, we were supposed to do this on Tuesday, and I think everyone would have turned off after 30 seconds. You were <laughs> not yeah, I would have, uh, yeah, I would have been uh, probably painful on both sides. Um, so I, let me ask to... you: did you did you wear a mask when you traveled? You know, I didn't, um, and it's it's one of those things where uh, sometimes you learn the the same lesson over and over until you learn it. Um, I did wear a mask. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was actually doing a, a Wim Hof retreat at his place in Prague, well, in Poland. And uh, my reward for that was two weeks in a room in the Czech Republic, because at that time you had a test to come back uh, to, to the States. And I had a positive test. So um, I had worn a mask that entire time. I, in the past, just in traveling on a plane, uh, I'll wear a mask. But, yeah, um, you know, apparently kind of thought, I was past that and, and I did not. Um, and you know, who knows if, if it was on the plane or what, but yeah. Hands away from the face, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) 
All right. Well, if you don't mind, what I like to do with all the guests I have on the show is for you to take a few minutes, rewind the tape, and go back to the beginning. Where'd you grow up? What was your childhood like? Your parents, brothers and sisters, friends, your introduction to, to sports. Uh, basically, give the listeners a glimpse, a tiny peek of what it was like growing up. Scott Broca. Um, yeah, I was born in Williston, North Dakota, um, and moved around a lot the, the first five years of my life. Uh, my brother, Ryan, uh, was born in Missoula, Montana, uh, then had a brother born about a little less than two years after that in uh, Minot, North Dakota. So uh, bounced around quite a bit and landed in Maple Grove, Minnesota, uh, a lot different Maple Grove, Minnesota than now. Uh, at roughly the age of, of five or six, uh, where I started my journey here and, and uh, went to elementary school uh, and you know, ended up going to, uh, to school in the, the Osseo Maple Grove School District, um, which was, was quite a journey. Again, at the time, there was no middle school on the Maple Grove side, and, and there was no Maple Grove Senior High until uh, my junior year of high school. So, um, my parents were uh, were both from North Dakota. Um, my dad grew up on a farm, and uh, my mom bounced around quite a bit too with her family. And um, I would say, kind of uh, grew up with that blue collar. Uh, there wasn't a lot given to him. Um, I think homesteading or farming in Western North Dakota was not a easy life uh, at, at the time for, I guess, my my grandparents and and their parents. Um, and for me, you know, sports was always, uh, it was a vacation in a sense. I, uh, uh, upon living here in, in Minnesota, um, things weren't always simple for me. I growing up with, with the household and things like that. And, um, competition specifically, uh, was something where I could be a hundred percent present in what I was doing. So, uh, whatever skill I lacked, which was probably a lot, uh, I, I kind of had a lot of grit and tenacity and, and, you know, I loved playing the game. So for me as a kid, you know, my fondest memories are actually probably playing baseball. Uh, I think anybody who is friends with me probably could expect a call at about 10 a.m. seven days a week if we didn't have a, a game that night. And we were at the park playing in the summer and then fall we were playing football with no pads on and who knows how many head injuries we're giving each other. Um, and in the winter, uh, you know, I, I played a little bit of pond hockey. I, I did get to play one season, but it was one of those things where uh, I think the cost, um, the amount of time and, and things like that were not going to probably allow me. Uh, and as a late starter in hockey too, as I've learned uh, over time, uh, mobility is pretty important and uh, not learning how to skate until you're, you know, 11, 12 makes that, makes that journey a lot tougher. So did you, did you pull the plug on that or your parents just said, you know, this isn't in the cards for you? I think it was probably the latter. I, uh, I think my parents might've had some of their own interests at the time. Um, obviously raising three boys, I, you know, I had two younger brothers and my, uh, my middle, uh, brother. So I was the oldest of three, um, you know, he played hockey a bit longer and, and maybe had a little bit more ability. I uh, I ended up switching over to basketball and, and you know, did fairly well there. Um, 
but yeah, the parents, uh, I think it was, uh, the time investment, the financial investment. And, uh, like I said, they might've had some of their own, their own interests. So it wasn't really in the cards for me to, uh, get a ride to the rink. Um, and, uh, unlike baseball or, or other sports where you could hop on your bike and even if it was, you know, five miles away, get there, uh, it wasn't, wasn't going to be, you were going to be finding me in a rink. That said, a lot of my, my friends, I was, I think probably a regular uh, arena, just not as a player. Well, so did, did your parents go to other sporting events or they were just non, not really involved in that? They just signed you up and you were kind of on your own? Uh, you know, they, they would, they would drive me, uh, you know, to whether it was golf or baseball or whatnot. And my dad actually coached. So my dad, um, never played basketball, but he coached my basketball team. And I think he had a, a good network just with guys that he worked with that, you know, had some basketball background. So he, he would, uh, come to the basketball practices and, and, uh, leave in a heap of sweat every time from sitting at the far three point line, uh, when we were scrimmaging, um, and, you know, he, he always tried to be pretty involved and, uh, you know, I think he lived, uh, himself to, to get away from kind of the rigors of life. And, you know, he was present at the baseball fields and, and kind of coached me all the way up and, and coached me in basketball as well. Um, and for him, I think, you know, he would agree that's kind of some of his fondest memories of, of fatherhood is just having a group of guys and, and, you know, the tournaments and all that fun stuff. And, uh, Again, I didn't play a sport at a high level or, or you know, really didn't coach at a high level, but was a guy that was, was there all the time. And, you know, to this day, you can just kind of see the fondness when he talks about being around a group of guys and, and watching them grow and has a memory much like my own. So he can break down a game from uh, you know, 35 years ago. Like, hey, do you remember the game where this happened and so-and-so did this? And <laughs> it's kind of remarkable. So you could tell that, that that's where his heart was at. Yeah. So you you play hockey, you play pond hockey, you play organized hockey for one year, and then that's done. You're playing a bunch of different sports. Um, what was high school like? Did you play varsity in any of them? Did you get to the state tournament? What 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 did you go? What happened in there? No, I was. Uh, I think I probably burnt that bridge by I don't know, maybe ninth grade. So um, for me, growing up at that time and in, in Osseo, it was kind of a strange deal. Um, uh, you know, probably didn't always make the best decisions behavior-wise. Uh, home All life, of us. <laughs> yeah, home life was a little bit tough. So my my safety or solace was kind of found in in a group of people who, you know, to this day, uh, some of the most loyal, um, kind people. Period. Uh, we ended up, you know, at Osseo Senior High School, uh, in many moons ago, and and here we had two hours off a day because the school was overcrowded and attendance in class was, was certainly not mandatory. So a very different path in that I, you know, for a good chunk of it probably wasn't on track to, uh, to, to finish high school. And, and, and many of the people I grew up with never, never left that lifestyle or didn't have the, the luxury of, of, you know, those things. So um, actually going into my senior year, at which point Maple Grove was built, um, one of my best friends who was a, a really good hockey player, uh, in Maple Grove, um, was driving home from work and, and was in a car accident and passed away. And that was, oh, wow. you know, if I look back at my life, probably one of the single most, well, defining moments at, at why I'm probably still here and, 
and uh, still operating because, you know, I, I looked at the time of all of the, the hardships that I was probably even creating for myself. And here I'm at the hospital with his family, another family. Uh, my parents were there. And, and when the doctor came in and talked to the family and I uh, found myself outside of North Memorial thinking that I was going to fight the building. Um, he, you know, at the time he didn't have a spinal injury or internal bleeding, but he was brain dead and, and uh, passed away that next day. So uh, Preston was a, a really good hockey player. Uh, I could always count on him and whatever we were doing to compete pretty hard against each other, which uh, whether it was baseball, if we were on the same team, it was great. And if we were against each other, we went hard. Um, but just a, a dear friend and, and, you know, somebody who was doing things the right way. Uh, I think he was doing pretty good as a student. He was obviously a really good athlete at everything he did, and specifically hockey was his passion. Um, was able to see his number re-retired uh, for Maple Grove a couple of years back. But uh, once that happened, I, I found myself with his dad, Craig, in the garage uh, every day after school where I was all of a sudden doing homework. And uh, I think it was probably good for me to have that figure in my life and it was probably good for Craig to, to maybe have me in the garage um, sharing stories and seeing me kind of turn my life around a little bit too um, and what happened ultimately there was at one point I went to his house and I said hey Craig I got this thing in the mail and they're doing a scholarship for the most improved GPA so going into my senior year I think uh, I had shared my fair fair amount of time in the, the principal's office and not a lot. Uh, I, I got along with all the coaches and whatnot, but, you know, wasn't on a track like that. And then my senior year, I, I think I had the most improved GPA by about three times. So I <laughs> found myself with a, a scholarship to, to go to college or, or at least uh, get a bunch of college paid for um, and, and get into college, which was quite a detour. So looking back, I just, that experience with, uh, with losing Preston and, and, you know, it was one of those deals where I realized at that point in my life, if I put my head down and said, Hey, I'm going to do this. Um, there wasn't anything that was going to get in my way or stop me. So safe to say I showed up quite differently, uh, after that happened. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's, it's unfortunate that it takes, something of that magnitude to uh, kind of wake a person up and to see that. I don't, you know, I was just trying, when you were talking about that, I was just trying to think back to high school. If, if I remember losing anyone and there, there probably was, but uh, it wasn't anyone that I was close with. So I didn't have that, but um, you know, I did have a traumatic experience when my parents split up when, you know, I think going into fifth grade or something. So I think there's always those defining moments that uh, kind of shape us to where we are. So here's what's interesting, ladies and gentlemen. You got a guy here that works with some of the top players here in the Twin Cities, and I'm sure you, uh, in Minnesota here, and I'm sure you got people coming in. But And you didn't play hockey. So no. we're going to college now. <laughs> I, I want to hear how this happens. How can you get to where you're working with the, you know, the best players, the highest end, um, you know, who have achieved a lot, and uh, you're you're just uh, reeling your senior year after the the loss of a good friend, uh, but you're starting to rebound. And you know what happens next? 
Yeah, so I, you know, I went to the University of Minnesota. Uh, it was a good time to be at the University of Minnesota because uh, the, the fellows won a couple national championships. Um, I, you know, find myself all of a sudden being, you know, a good buddy is my my business partner with Competitive Edge, uh, who we started the business. Andy Blaylock um, was a roommate in college, and he also happened to be a team manager for the the men's hockey team. So. I couldn't have told you what three different four checks were or a neutral zone regroup or anything highly tactical. Um, but we're in college and I think we had a shared interest in the social aspects of things. So, you know, I found myself uh, being pretty good buddies with a lot of the guys on the team. And, um, you know, I think maybe one thing that differentiated me with that a little bit was I, I liked them kind of for who they were and not because, oh my God, they're, they're a gopher hockey player. And so, you know, we had a lot of great, great experiences and being able to see it from an angle where, you know, you saw the human element in the guys. And then obviously the, you know, the national championship game uh, here in O2, uh, watching, uh, you know, Kowalska tie the game late and then Grant win it in overtime. And, you know, parents are hogpiling on each other. And I'm, plugging my nose I had a bloody nose from the celebration uh, it was a just an awesome experience um, and uh, the month that followed in both cases was was pretty uh, memorable as well but even at that point I mean I had zero intention or interest or you know you couldn't have told me in a million years I was going to do anything with hockey um, I, I did attempt to play a few intramural games with Andy and I think if people got a good kick out of the fact my skates probably weighed about six pounds each. Um, <laughs> and going back to that competitive thing is I think at one point we were losing about eight to one and uh, somebody took, took a slap shot and I'm not wearing shin guards, but you know, I didn't want the puck to get through. So <laughs> guys on my team that actually were hockey guys are looking at me like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> I didn't want them to score. Uh, but you know, that college experience was great. But again, you know, even leaving college, I, you know, I made some, some friends and, and guys, you know, that uh, I really respected in the hockey world, but I had no intention of ever doing anything with hockey again. Um, I was going to go into the corporate world and, and in fact did and, and did sales. Um, in the interim, Andy Blaylock, you know, had invented a, a crossover treadmill and, you know, I guess we're fast forwarding a bit, but I was chipping away at, at Best Buy Corporate doing government and education sales so out on the East Coast and, uh, you know, based out of the, the corporate offices here. And um, financially, it was pretty rewarding and, and I was having some success there, but it wasn't uh, filling my cup. So I, I uh, went ahead and Andy was getting his feet planted in Rogers we're in a warehouse and trying to get the, the flywheel going. And so I simply went there as a business person, not as a hockey coach or trainer, but as a guy who wanted to help him um, get traction with, you know, the product that he had invented and uh, you know, whether it was going to be a franchise model or whatnot, you know, get the, the training side of things going um, up and operating from solely a business stance. So didn't go in there with any uh, imagination or idea of, of, you know, what I'd be doing now, um, but went in with an open mind and uh, a really good work ethic. And, and, you know, I left a job that was paying the bills pretty well and, 
was told several times that you must be crazy. You have a college degree. What are you doing? And uh, I guess the one thing that's kind of stuck with me throughout my life is I, I put my head down and just immerse myself in, in the business. Um, just to give people a uh, just kind of uh, an insight of competitive edge, uh, Andy Blaylock, he developed a treadmill. It's a huge circular treadmill that will kind of elevate up a little bit on one side. And you're harnessed up and you do crossovers forward and backward. It, it's a pretty cool thing. And then uh, that expanded to where you got a regular treadmill. But that's a business where players come in to to train on the treadmill and uh, do stick, stick skill stuff. And I'm sure that expanded. So you leave your corporate job. You're all in. So at this point, are you... Did you take equity in the company right away or did you just go there trying to help him out and he was just going to pay as a contractor? Yeah. I mean, I, I would say I probably wasn't even getting compensated at first. I, uh, I'd saved up a bit of money. Um, and I, I was living in Plymouth, Minnesota and driving out to Rogers daily. Um, and then at some point we kind of talked about, you know, sweat equity or working to, to get involved and, um, you know, I'll forever be indebted to Andy just because he's a guy, he, he's a peer, but, you know, he looked at me and, and obviously saw something and felt like I was the guy that could help kind of drive it. So we were, at the time, Competitive Edge consisted of a, a hockey training facility uh, and baseball as well. And we had a large synthetic ice surface uh, where, you know, guys that are, some of them are playing college hockey now, and, and they were small enough, they're probably six years old, so they could skate on the synthetic ice and it looked like they were on a pond. Uh, they were just so light. They didn't really dig in. And then we had the, the big crossover flywheel, the, the circular treadmill, uh, and then some, you know, strength training area. Um, and it's funny how things work out, but I look back with such fondness of that kind of dumpy facility we were in. Um, and in lieu of having a desk where I could make phone calls to try to expand the business, there was a utility closet. It was actually, wired fencing and uh there's some cinder blocks i found a piece of wood that i must have cut my leg no less than 70 times on um and i sat in a storage closet and would just you know attempt to bring in you know uh youth hockey associations and and players to train as well as them kind of extending a reach to you know who's out there what, what does the hockey look like what is off ice training you know relative to on ice and um found myself living in a, a, a the Sugar Maples and Rogers, which was a, a very small apartment. I didn't pay myself much of anything. I was always kind of working a second job to make ends meet. And again, I was focused at that time mostly on doing the business side of things, but started training um, players just because one of the other challenges we had were finding people to train players. So uh, I would argue I didn't know a whole heck of a lot about much uh, and I think it was just kind of immersing myself in hockey at, at, at that age, you know, so I'm, I'm mid twenties and I, I just kind of put my head down and uh, learned and learned and learned and applied. And, and I came from a unique position where I, I didn't have a history in the game. I didn't have coaches. So I couldn't say, Hey, this is, this is the practice plan we're running. It was all kind of, I actually had to kind of create, see what works, what didn't. And, you know, adjust and recalibrate. I was learning on the fly. Um, and 
you know, again, I, I went from my motivation being come in and help the business grow uh, and, and potentially have a, a franchisable training facility model to what really filled me up was training. Um, so, you know, there was a, a little guy who's, who's playing at Arizona State now who was probably five and a half at the time. And his dad had him on that flywheel all the time. And uh, there was an old video, you know, where he was so small that when he fell, I, I wasn't the strongest guy, but there's just a video of me grabbing the harness and kind of lifting him up with one arm and setting him down on the bench yeah. because he was all probably about 40 pounds soaking wet. Um, and there was just a few guys that, that you know, yeah, I say guys now, but at the time they were pretty young kids uh, who were coming in and, and training quite a bit. And that's just kind of what filled me up. So it was one of those neat things where it was a job, um, an unpaid job, but I was there and just really immersing myself and learning the stride mechanics, uh, hand skills, um, you know, just doing athleticism. And what I enjoyed the most was just being engaged um, with with the players, uh, the, the kids and, and teaching. Um, if I look back, again, I, I don't think I knew much. Uh, the only thing I did is I just kept learning as I went. What what year was that that you started there? Uh, I believe it was 04. Um, yeah, so then, so that's like the just perfect timing to learn because like YouTube and stuff like that are, you know, you can get a lot of information. I mean, it wasn't like it is now, but I mean, that was just starting to rock around then, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it was it was very early on, and and that was just it. It's, you know, where do you get knowledge, um, especially as a guy who didn't play the game? Um, from my observation, you know, I think a lot of people coach the way that they were coached. Um, sometimes even as specific as you know, you're running the same practice plan that that your coach was running 15, 20 years ago. Um, and obviously I didn't have that to pull from. So I would spend a lot of time at the rink just watching different things. And maybe it was like, you know, hey, there's a drill design that I really like, but why are they not teaching knee bend or extension? Um, you know, vision, awareness. Uh, you know, so you would learn a lot. And even when you were observing something that maybe didn't really resonate with you, there was a lesson. Okay, I, I'm not going to coach that way or – or, you know, even in a drill that didn't make a lot of sense, maybe just the drill design itself, there was something to pull from. Um, and yeah. then you could kind of shine a light on on what works or what you're trying to get across. Yeah. Um, so as you're going through this, you're, you're doing a lot of just personal observing on ice practices, what you're doing, you know, other trainers, probably I'm sure you watched Andy or worked with him a lot, but, you know, who some books or who were some of your learning mentors those early years as you started to, you know, kind of develop your own lens for the game? Yeah. So really early on, I mean, it was uh, kind of the way I grew up is, you know, sometimes you're learning what not to do, um, which I probably won't name most people because that uh, wouldn't be very flattering. Um, but, you know, just, Coaches, uh, there's a guy uh, who used to run Sporting Goods Incorporated out there in Rogers named Al Bistadu. And, I mean, between him and I, if, if 
we started talking about hockey, six hours could pass. And, <laughs> and it was one of those things where there was different guys um, just coaching youth teams or, you know, again, I, I just watched a ton of hockey. Um, and, you know, I spent a little bit of time around some of these AAA teams. And I remember uh, at one point Andy and I had said, hey, let's, let's build a AAA team. And you know, we didn't really know what to name it. And uh, a guy walking through the warehouse that we worked in, and he said, hey, what do you think of when you think of success? And the guy said, me with some money bags over my shoulder. And he said, you know, kind of like the Monopoly man. And I was like, well, there it is. We're the Minnesota Monopoly. So we, you know, we started a triple A team. <laughs> um, and, you know, in that first year, uh, I remember it fondly now, but, you know, we're watching uh, a local team here, one of the top two local teams, play another team. And I think there's some winning something like 14 to zero in the second period. And I'm uh, standing next to uh, Ben Hankinson, who was coaching the 99 blades at that time. And I got a team with O1s and 2000s and we're about to go to uh, to slaughter and he's, I, uh, you'll be fine. Um, and, and he was very gracious that year uh, because it could have been a, 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 you know, real tough scene, but you know, we took a triple A team and, some of the the local coaches and dads and just kind of seeing what works and what doesn't because there was we had some really good players um but they were from you know monticello saint michael uh rogers elk river um places that at that time you know you were they weren't the city teams so they were kind of flying under the radar um and i was always very interested in different people's stories so uh, you know, at what level did you play? What did you learn? And how they would interact with, with their kids, um, whether they were on the ice or, or in the stands. Um, and, you know, obviously Andy uh, understood the physics of it. I, I always joke that Andy, he's like that uh, really smart professor you have in college. And, you know, one of my early memories of coaching was we're on the ice and I shudder to think of what, uh, any spectator might have saw if they saw me out there coaching and, and the way that I moved on the ice then um, probably not a swan now, but you know, this is heck almost 20 years ago. Um, and Andy would explain things uh, to the players. Uh, They're pretty young. Like, Hey, you need to get a linear push with your uh, leg and, and try to get a 90 degree knee bend. And the kids would look at me like, what in the heck does that mean? I said, get your butt closer to the ground and push more sideways than backwards. <laughs> and it was kind of a way that we worked together that just really worked well because Andy could demonstrate anything on skates and and understood the technical, you know, physics side of things. Um, and I I was a little bit more capable of understanding that message, whether it was learning from Andy, whether it was learning from other uh, skills coaches, reading whatever I could. I, I, you know, would read articles by Jack Blatherwick and uh, Let's Play Hockey. Um, started asking questions, just the guys that I knew that had played um, and, and tried to be a sponge. But my strength early on was the ability to take the information that I was learning and then communicate it to a player in a way that would, would make sense to their mind at that time. So when, when I started training, I mean, I was at the beginning, much like you, uh, learning the stick skills and stuff like that. I mean, I didn't even know what a toe drag was. Um, but 
as you do it, if you know, a number of years, you get, uh, you know, word gets around and people want to try something new. So I'd get some higher end players, college or pros, uh, coming in here. And I was, I was intimidated. Um, but then probably six years later, you know, a same situation would happen like that. And now I, I know that, you know, I, I don't get intimidated anymore. So my question to you is, you know, what, when did you have that moment where, I mean, well, first, let me ask you, were you intimidated early on when you were training higher end players? And then when did you have the moment where you knew that you have acquired the knowledge, uh, the confidence to where anyone who comes on the ice or does anything with you, they're going to be challenged and uh, they're going to want to come back for more. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I would say yeah, definitely intimidated. Um, I think those early years, one, you know, being in your mid twenties helped because I was just dumb enough to not know what I didn't know. Um, and, and I think that was a big strength as I've gotten older, uh, as a, as a coach, as a advocate, just in that, like understanding what you don't know is really powerful as well. Um, but certainly intimidated and, and you know, it was very lucky uh, with that, that first team we had, because of all of my hockey memories, I look back and, and, you know, it was a group of guys that we weren't probably intimidating anybody else. So I didn't really have a lot of the high end players at the beginning and the ones that I did have, I mean, they were growing with me. So there was never a, a knock on the door while we were still out in Rogers and, and a player came that had a great pedigree. Now there were guys, um, playing youth hockey and Rogers, but they were so young enough where it was, I would sit there for five extra hours and, and, you know, here we're just doing hockey, but I'm learning as I teach. Um, and it was just kind of a really neat process in that I had a blank slate. I didn't have a, you know, conditioned mind as things kind of, you know, started going and then all of a sudden okay the the monopoly team we had were beating some really good teams and i uh was asked to help uh coach the brick team um we beat the plates uh, with the monopoly team a couple times and, and i went and did that um now it was one of those things where all right people started knocking on the door who had obviously credibility in the game uh be it coaches or players and i've got coaches asking me questions that you know i'm like oh pretty intimidating i'm gonna go share a bench with this guy and He's, you know, he's got all these accolades and, and playing experience. Um, and then from a player point of view, definitely intimidating when, you know, you're able to teach something that you can't yourself do. And and there's an ego piece of that. I think a lot of people, you know, that would be terrifying for a lot of people just wouldn't do it. Right. Because if you can't go out and demonstrate it, how in the heck do you know? And I would get that question a lot. And I don't have a great answer for it. Um, I think to this day still, sometimes you get a player and they look and they're like, how does that guy know what he knows? And it, they might be somebody who's had the experience with me where they've applied what we've worked on and it's worked really well for them. But there's that, like, what's going on? Like, how, how do you understand how to get a goalie to do that? And it's, I think, just sheer volume and how much I immerse myself in all of it. Um, as far as, is getting over that intimidation factor, uh, you know, I'm not sure that I'm all the way there. I think as a human, you 
are always learning. And um, with the way that I grew up and, and, and the way that I experienced life in my early years, um, you know, knowing self-worth and, and who you are uh, is, is a challenge and you need to be reminded of it often. Um, I think where I got most of my traction was I, I was working with some really good players and, and, and all of a sudden, you know, I'm coaching with really good guys and, and even the best coaches with the best resumes that I coached with just realizing, Hey, they're human. They weren't saying anything that like completely blew your mind. Um, and in some cases you'd go into the weekend and I'd be like, the assistant coach just trying to help out. And by the end of the weekend, they're looking at me and, you know, what do you think? And I got the marker and I'm drawing up what we're going to do. So part of it was just, I guess, willingness to fail over and over and over again and, and, and maybe even look dumb. Um, uh, there wasn't really any other option. Um, and the intimidation factors, you know, slowed a little bit. And then you kind of graduate to another level where a current division one college player calls and you're like, Holy cow, I'm going to skate with this guy for the first time. I'm going to, you know, got to be on my game, got to be on my game. And I realized that showing up, I think with authenticity and being genuine was probably the biggest key for me. Um, just going in and, and again, you know, I think there was a time in my life where, you want to put that out there that, Hey, I've got this all figured out. I'm really smart. I'm really good. And, and for me, I, I think we all battle with ego, but it, it's, it's not about me. It's, it's about who I'm working with and uh, learning that it's okay to, to not, not have it all figured out and, and learn as you go um, was a huge opportunity for me. I, I had the intimidation, but I had to go show up. And, and I think I was trained for that in my life, um, not hockey specific, but just having those insecurities or fears or feeling that the big feelings of intimidation or, you know, do I belong? Am I worthy? Um, and I would just get lost in the work. So some of those really good players would come in and all of a sudden we would just put our head down. And I almost describe it as like we were in a laboratory. So, you know, how do you develop a shooting program? that you have a lot of really high-end players in the world using. It was a matter of, I just, you know, trial and error. Like there's certain things that I think physically were just accurate. And I think where I gained the respect from, from those high-end players or coaches was we put our head down, we worked hard and I was always open to adjusting, adjusting, adjusting until we kind of found certain things that just worked. Um, and so I guess that's a long way to answer your question, but, uh, coming full circle is I'm sure there's still moments now where I question myself or have that intimidation, but trying to root myself and, you know, I, I didn't come from a place where I had it all figured out or I, I don't think anybody was looking at me as, you know, Hey, this guy's got this great playing history or knowledge of the game. Um, I have to show it every time I show up. And if I'm not really, really good, I'm not going to have clients. I'm not going to have people that are leaning on me because I'm probably not the normal, normal route people would take. Um, seems, you know, in hockey, a lot of times the, the playing resume 
uh, is the thing that's out there in the forefront. And obviously I didn't have such a thing. So I've always just felt like, Hey, I got to show up and be very good every day. Yeah. And you know, the proof is in the pudding. You you're, you've been doing this for close to 20 years now. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're coming up on it. I, uh, actually sent a message to Andy not that long ago. When exactly did we start competitive edge? Um, and, you know, I, I think in those early years, <laughs> they might count as a couple of years each year because it was 80, 90 hours a week of just grinding on hockey. Um, Get, getting your reps. Yep, getting reps, learning, um, doing different things. You know, I, I think I ran a, a morning uh, stick handling camp once using uh, online stick handling your stuff. And, and it was one of those things where I think being a teacher is, is often overlooked. Um, when you're teaching something, you're learning it significantly better. So, you know, I remember back to the elementary school days when you're doing a spelling test and, and you're quizzing your partner and waiting for them to properly spell the word. And, and I always remember, well, that was a great way to learn the word. Now, I, now I know how to spell it because waiting for them to do it right. Um, being in the trenches and, and teaching different stick handling things, different shooting things, different movement things also makes you a lot more aware of what you're teaching um, and, and, you know, your application of it. So I was never training to be a hockey player, um, but in the way that I was teaching and just having those repetitions, um, proper repetition is, you know, kind of the crux of all of it is doing it right, not just doing it, um, and, and a high attention to details what really motivated me. So you, you're getting your reps. Years and years are going by. Uh, you're with Competitive Edge. Now you got some new thing called Brokaw Hockey. First, are you still with, involved with Competitive Edge? Uh, yeah, not on a day-to-day level. I mean, obviously, I, I'm, like I said, forever indebted to, to Andy and Competitive Edge and, and uh, you know, support competitive badge you know a lot of players uh that contact me um i still refer to competitive badge i think you know the base of what they do is is very very good um as things advanced and evolved a little bit day to day my focus became broca hockey um and it was just a matter of you know my vision was i i didn't want to have you know online sorry not online on ice uh you know 30 person camps i feel that working you know having a, a big impact on a player in that setting is tough so what i found myself doing is competitive badge at this point now was in hattrick arena which was in st louis park and we had access to two three on three ice sheets um and so in that environment when the ice was open you know, lessons would be done, but players that I was working with were like, let's hop on the ice and apply it. Um, obviously, that's where the game's played. So it was pretty fun to be able to, you know, do the competitive edge thing, work on the skills individually, whether it's hands, shooting, uh, straight ahead, skating treadmill at that point, the crossover treadmill, but get on the ice and apply it because doing it off ice is great, but obviously, you know, where it matters is when you're on the ice sheet. So 
I, I still am involved with competitive edge as you know, an advisor. And I, I have a lot of players that I work with there um, that, you know, people that contact me where that's just the best fit for them. Um, with Broca hockey, what happened was I, I, you know, I had a group of guys um, at a couple of different age groups that just really kept excelling. Um, and, you know, we're kind of standing out and, and being afforded a lot of opportunities, um, you know, being drafted early for, for USHL, uh, you know, getting college opportunities. And so, you know, Broca hockey kind of became a, a different thing where it was, you know, small group where we're doing the off ice, we're doing the on ice. Um, and I talked about it for several years, like, you know, to me, kind of a holistic approach to hockey training. And, and what I mean by that is there's a lot of things that go into it. Um, obviously, skill and ability uh, is paramount. Um, how do you mentally process the game? Um, utilizing video, things like that. Uh, how do you process mentally, you know, mental performance? How you experience life to me is one of the biggest indicators of success. Um, you know, we've all seen a defenseman who's playing not to make a mistake. That makes the game really hard. Uh, when you're playing to go out and make a play, it's like you're pushing water downhill. It's a lot easier. Um, so addressing some of that, and then I found myself in that same time where guys are asking me, well, what should I do? You know, this junior team called or this and that. So kind of going into that area of helping players navigate opportunity and uh, advancement. So are you, are you, you, so you, you talk on the phone to players or Zoom calls in addition to doing um, on ice training? So are you like a family advisor then? Yeah, I, I try to stay away from the, the advisor title, I guess, per se. Um, obviously, that's a wide range of, you know, some people um, are, are paid to, to kind of, you know, do general advice or whatnot. And, and for me, it was a situation where this time of year, obviously, as my players have gotten older, and I've, I've started to take on new clients again, which has actually been really fun, going back to some of the younger ages and just utilizing all of the experience of so many different players um, that I've been involved with and, you know, kind of what works and what doesn't. Um, so advising uh, is, is certainly part of it. Um, and, you know, I'm on the hockey journey podcast. I, every player has got such a unique journey. And I think there's an ideology out there sometimes that, well, you know, you got to do this by this age and do this by this age. And you should be doing this over here and then don't play for that you know, league or organization. And, and really, truly what I learned is, is just truly how unique it was um, for each player. So, you know, this time of year, a lot of Zoom calls, a lot of screen time where we're breaking down video. I think that video is such a powerful tool. And normally when you do a video with a team, what you're getting is, hey, here's what we're doing on our zone entry. Here's what, where we're, you know, struggling on our penalty kill, our power, power play. And it's more of a general thing. Whereas if you take a player and say, hey, you remember the situation, and it could have been two or three weeks ago, you project yourself as a player back to that exact moment. Okay, here's the play that you made. Did you see you had this? Or, you know, what about considering looking for this op option? And it's just such a powerful teacher because – as a player, 
Um, I think, you know, most of us are visual learners in life in general. For a hockey player, uh, it seems to me that, you know, most players I've worked with are very visual in their learning. And using video as a, a tool to put yourself back in a situation, when you find yourself in that same situation again, you've got a couple more tools in your toolbox that you can look for. So instead of making the same repetitive play over and over, um, you find yourself in that situation and you realize there's, there's more than one solution. Yeah. Hey, I never asked you, what did you uh, graduate with degree? Uh, psych- psychology. So, uh, really? was, yes. So it I, makes I, a lot of sense now. <laughs> <laughs> so interesting. I, I got a question for you, but first I'll set it up. Um, when I went to college, I wasn't a very good student. So when I met with the academic counselor at the university of Minnesota, um, I just said, you know, get me into something where I can stay eligible. So put me into a major called human relationships. And yeah. he just said, the first couple of years are going to be tough. You know, it wouldn't matter what major you're in. You got to take all the required classes. But after that, you're going to love it because uh, 95% of the class is women. So they're going, <laughs> to force you to, they're going to force you to study because you don't want to look bad in front of them. And it was true. And I was accountable. But anyways, um, I never really thought I used my degree um, until I started doing what I'm doing now, working with kids. Um, Do you connect your psychology degree with, you know, how you uh, interact with players you work with? Uh, Yeah, I mean, 100%. I I think I don't necessarily give it the credit that it even probably deserves because I – I've had that question, you know, in my mind a lot. Like when I was in college, I wasn't going to go to grad school. Um, I was paying for my own college. (laughs) That wasn't going to be an option. Um, And you get to the end of a psychology degree and you're, you know, your option is to go to grad school or go get a sales job or, you know, a lot of, I think why people go to college is to get that piece of paper. Um, The reason I I settled on uh, psychology is I was, originally going to go in and do economics and and I learned pretty quick that there was a lot of math involved and that certainly wasn't a strength um and found myself taking a a psych course and it was actually abnormal psych so you're learning about all of these different you know things that the people have or or whatnot and it just really hit with me uh you know as a learner I think the engaged mind learns and I wasn't particularly interested in, in math before, uh, you know, some of the sciences and stuff. I, I, it just wasn't my strength. And it was something where, okay, this is pretty interesting to me. And, and obviously that's a powerful motivator. Um, but definitely, you know, one of the, the courses that I took that I remember was just how different people have different learning styles. Um, and, you know, one thing that I, I've repeated a lot to to people is knowing how to engage uh, with different individuals is, is a huge strength. And, and I think it's something that I needed as a hockey coach because I didn't have the background of being a player. So one thing that I realized is if I was a teacher in a classroom and I had 25 students, so I have one way of teaching um, and it was just my way of teaching, you know, four or five kids are going to excel and four or five kids are going to fall completely apart and there's going to kind of be a scatter chart in between. And for me, I I just found it really important that 
different things motivate different people. And, and I kind of going back to your question, look back at, you know, just learning about that in college. Again, while I was a kid sitting in class trying to figure out what I was going to do after school is done for the day, I probably didn't realize I was learning it and was going to apply it, but it, it certainly showed up, um, you know, day to day now. And it, it really stuck with me that, you know, people learn differently. And I think I had the gift of understanding that and, and knowing how to communicate differently with different players right. to get the most out of the individual versus just, you know, had I not learned what I learned in college, um, you know, or, or some of that stuff, I, maybe I wouldn't have thought about it as much. Um, but I definitely think that there was a, it makes a lot of sense now in hindsight that, that, you know, the psychology and, and how do people learn and what motivates people um, certainly shows up a lot in, in what I do today. Yeah. Um, I, I've studied on best, best teaching practices, you know, listening to books and stuff. And there's a, I think it's, there's an IQ, your eyes, you can look at the eyes. There's a cue when you ask someone something, if they, I believe it's, if you go up and to the right or up and to the left that, you know, you ask them a question, they're trying to retrieve the information. If they do that, I can't remember which one, but that means that they're a visual learner. So I'm not going to choose words as, did you see that? You know, I'm going to say, did you hear that? Or, you know, word, words that are more um, toward if you're a visual learner or if you're an auditory learner. Um, yep. And it's uh, so th those little things that, you know, that little effort that you put into to try to, you know, be a difference maker in the smallest way. I mean, it, it's paid huge dividends for me on just making a stronger connection with the kid because we know that um you know if if you don't have a connection with the coach then it's it's really just wasted time you know uh you're not gonna you're not gonna see the results that you would if you know the kid really thinks that this coach cares about me um and that's, that's what we do. You know, if that's where you're going into is this, you know, I'm grateful I'm able to get in front of you and I'm going to, I'm going to give you everything I got when we're together here today. Um, yeah. You can't go wrong there. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, <laughs> I preach this a bit probably at nauseum, but you know, there's three things that I have identified. I don't know where I, I don't write that much, but it's something that I wrote about a bit. Um, that I think are really key to having, and I might even ask you, I mean, you, you had a long playing career and coaching career. Uh, there's three things that, that I've kind of identified as things that truly make uh, a transformational leader, teacher, coach, mentor. Um, and, you know, the first one is investment. Uh, you know, are you engaged in the learning process? Now, I, you know, obviously as a student, that's necessary. But as a teacher, are you invested in the person that you're working with? Whether it's within that hour window of a lesson, whether it's within coaching a team, whether it's a client that you're working with over the year, are you invested in their outcomes? Um, second one is communication. So we kind of just touched on that, but uh, are you able to communicate in a way that they can learn from? So, you know, there are certain kids that if, if a coach go, you know, gets hard on them, it does motivate them. There are several more kids probably that need a little bit of positive reinforcement. Um, but do you know how to connect with that individual? 
Uh, and then the third thing being wisdom. Um, are you knowledgeable about what you're teaching? So, you know, from where I sit, I've seen certain people that definitely have the wisdom, but they might not have the ability to connect with the individual or the investment or the passion to work with, with the individual they're coaching. And I think in that case, you know, you get people that improve, um, but you're not going to improve as much as if you had the other ones. Uh, the other case I use often is, you know, I might be really invested in your outcomes and, and I might be able to communicate with you perfectly, but if I have no wisdom or knowledge, we're all going to be smiling, but we might be running in exactly the wrong direction. Um, so one question that I pose to many of my players, and especially as I've started to work with more, you know, collegiate and professional players is how many coaches did you have growing up that had all three of those? Right. And often the answer is zero. And, you know, and, and I said, how many did you have, have two? And, and the coolest thing is it's often not a head coach. It's like, you know, there was a guy when I was a peewee, he was an assistant coach, was a dad of another kid, but he had all three or, you know, he had two out of those three. Yeah. Um, and then one of the other crazy things is you talk to some guys and they're like, most coaches I had had one. Or, you know, there were some guys that were motivated by, by either what they were getting paid or, or ego. Um, and that didn't make that transformational leap for them. Yeah. Um, so to me, it seems like something that should be kind of in the forefront of coaching, but oftentimes isn't. So, so would you say that that would be your mission statement, investment, communicate wisdom? Yeah, I mean, it's central to, to everything I think that I do. I, You know, I – working with six or seven players at a time on the ice sheet, obviously from a, a business viewpoint, isn't probably the best way to maximize profits. Um, that said, you know, I would say that's my mission. I think part of my problem is I just can't really do it the other way. So if I was just out blowing the whistle and moving cones, it's not really fulfilling. And much like a player, you know, I think the players that improve the most uh, when you're working with them are, are highly invested in it. Um, and, and there's a purpose beyond, you know, just a, a short-term result. It's kind of the same for me as a coach. Cause if I'm, if I'm on the ice sheet and I'm just throwing generic drills out and, you know, you start clock watching, it's just not going to be fulfilling for me. So I think it's, what's kind of made me, I guess, a bit unique in that, for a long time, I didn't take more clients on, um, hadn't looked to expand a lot because I'm a bit, uh, rigid about, you know, those three things. If those three things aren't there, it's, it's not going to be fulfilling for me. And, and it, it's not going to be, uh, as transformational for the player. Well said, well said. All right, we're getting to the end here, my friend. I got three more questions. We want to finish it in three minutes. First Sounds question. Out, I'm not. We don't have to finish it, but I'm just. Yeah. You know. You know. Give us the, the cliff notes. Yeah. Outside yeah. of hockey, uh, what passions or hobbies uh, do you have? Uh well, uh, being a dad, which I guess is you know, couldn't have always said that, but uh, I have a 13 year old daughter, a 10 year old son. Um, I, I love getting behind a boat and surfing uh, and travel. I think a guy recently told me, guys, that you know, if you're lucky enough to travel, you get to live twice. And, and that really resonated with me. Um, 
seeing how big the world is and how different the world is in different places and just having an appreciation for, for getting out in nature and walking around and seeing different things is, has been big for me. Awesome. Uh, any book? I don't know if you're a reader. Any book you're working on right now? Yeah, you know, I just started a book about, uh, gosh, I don't have the title in front of me, but uh, I'll have to add it. But uh, The Art of Surrender, I think it was something like that, learning to let go. Uh, you know, a little little self-improvement always on, on letting go of the story that you're attached to and, and kind of the way you experience life in your early years. Um, I love The Alchemist uh, as far as a fiction book. And I know a lot of people read that book, but there's a reason I think a lot of people read that book. Um, and then uh, the other one that I love and really just stuck with me and I reread it, I think every couple of years is uh, the power of now. And, you know, it's just really about being present in the moment that you're in. Awesome. I am a um, podcast I'm working on that will launch after this one is called wearing the sea leadership secrets of hockey's greatest captains. Uh, it's a leadership episode. I'm using uh Ross Bernstein's book, Wearing the Sea. So Very we're going to cool. pull out uh, some quotes on what it meant for some of the best captains in the NHL that were, you know, what was important to them. Um, so it's been fun kind of researching that. Um, last thing, you got a favorite quote you can pass on to our listeners? Oof, you put me on the spot. Um Favorite quote. Hey, you said we're just ripping it, man. <laughs> we I are going to give you the it. questions. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm with you. And normally I could shoot from the hip pretty good, but uh, uh, you know, a Ram Das be here now is a good one. Uh, I think you know the answer to 99% of uh, struggles in life sometimes is just trying to re uh, reorient yourself to the, the here and now. Uh, there's not an unmanageable moment in the here and now, um, and if you ever meet that unmanageable moment in the here and now it's probably over. Uh, there's not a lot to, to think about at that point. So just, just be here now, I think is the first one that comes to my mind right now. Okay. Awesome. Well, Mr. Brokaw, this show has come to an end, my friend. Uh, I want to congratulate you on a, an amazing hockey life. I mean, from uh, not really <laughs> having much of a hockey background to now, you know, you, you, you don't have enough time to train all the kids that want to get in front of you. So uh, you've traveled the hero's journey through sheer hard work and determination. And I just want to say thank you for being you and making the game of hockey so much better than when you found it. Uh, if there's anything I can do to help you and what you got going on, please don't hesitate to ask. And where can people find you? Uh, so uh, at Broca Hockey, I think on, on most of the social media platforms, um, BrocaHockey.com is the website. And you know, for the first time in a long time, kind of expanding things a little bit. I've been lucky to uh, some of the players as their playing careers have ended, who have been with me for you know ten plus years, are are on board and, and kind of you know shared vision and, and passion for what we've done. And uh, so you know at brokahockey.com and, and uh, my email is um, broca.hockey at gmail.com. So anyway, uh, any of those ways work wonderfully. Perfect. Um, you Thank you for answering. That was one of the questions that I had on my list. What's next for Broca Hockey? And so that's good. But 
yeah, I'll put the, I'll put the link in the description. But uh, just uh, thank you for taking the time. This was a fantastic conversation. Uh, I wish nothing but continued success for you, my friend. No, I really appreciate it, Lance, and and it's been fun to uh, you know watch obviously your journey from a distance and and up close, you know, and and seeing different players that uh, you've coached that have crossed both of our paths, and for us to be able to look where you know we got young young clients and and then you've got you know guys that are playing in the nhl and and uh to have any part in that and and you know seeing different people uh who really are great at what they do i uh, consider yourself you know there's some figure skating coaches and different coaches that that i am able to uh tell clients that i work with hey go check this person out and uh i've always really appreciated what you've done and really appreciate you having me on well, thank you very much. Um, I hope this COVID gets out of your body here and you're feeling 100% soon. But uh, thanks again for being on here. I really appreciate it, Scott. Yeah, absolutely, Lance. Thank you. Well, that concludes another episode of the Hockey Journey Podcast. I can't thank you enough for stopping by and listening. I hope you enjoyed the Scott Broca Hockey Journey. And make sure you check out his website for more information on how he's helping hockey players reach their long-term potential and short-term goals. I'll put the link to his website in the description. If you think there's someone in your circle of family and friends that might like this episode as well, please share it with just one person if you could. It would really help me in growing this hockey community. Again, I appreciate you being here. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, or submit a review. I hope to see you back here soon and... Do me a favor, make someone close to you smile today. All the best, my friends.